What's up, guys? Welcome into a brand new episode of Chargers Weekly alongside Matt Money Smith, as always. Chris Avery here with you. And Money, if you want a Chargers education, you get Daniel Popper on to join us for a little QA. Pop, what's up, brother? What's up? You're too kind to me. You're too kind. <laughs> Listen, you've been you've been at all these offseason um, practices and workouts and I guess this is the the unofficial first week of OTAs, right? Uh, Justin Herbert spoke, Derwin James spoke, Coach mm-hmm. Daly spoke. Um, well, just open it up to just additional observations on what you saw on the field and what you heard from the guys. Yeah, so uh, you know, a few takeaways. Um, you know, seeing Khalil Mack out there, obviously, you know, gets your mind going about what this defense is actually going to look like. Obviously, you know, you see the trade happen, you see him show up, and and do the press conference and he holds his jersey and all that stuff. But when you see him on the field with his helmet on, you start to imagine, you know, what it's going to look like with him and Joey Bosa rushing the passer on opposite sides this coming season. Obviously, Joey's not there. He's never there. I think he's earned that right at this point in his career. Um, Austin Eckler as well, not there. Again, 20 touchdowns last season. I don't think we need to throw a huge fit over whether Austin Eckler is there because he's a guy that's going to produce. The one thing, and I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this, so Jerry Tillery was not at the first day of OTAs. Obviously, the Chargers have gone out and overhauled this defensive line. They've bring, they brought in four new players, two new guys that are shoeing starters in Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson. They drafted Tito Albania, and they also signed Morgan Fox, a guy that Brandon Staley really loves, who just happens to do the exact same thing that Jerry Tillery does well in terms of, of rushing the passer. And then we asked Brandon Staley about it, and he gives us an explicit answer as explicit an answer as you're ever going to get from an NFL coach that, and I'll quote it here. There's a bunch of guys that are trying to prove themselves to earn their way in the league. And I would put him Jerry Tillery in that category. And to me, like the only thing that I can take away from all the evidence there is that Jerry Tillery is fighting for a roster spot. I mean, last year they kept five guys, five defensive linemen on the 53 man roster. And to me, there are five guys that are definitely going to make this, this 53 man. Four guys I mentioned, plus Christian Covington, who they re-signed, who Brandon Staley is really high on and thinks has some potential to, to improve. He's good as a run defender last season, but Christian told us himself that he wants to be better as a pass rusher. So what does that mean? A former first-round pick, they obviously did not pick up Jerry Tillery's fifth-year option. Um, I think that's an important point to make, important thing to bring up when you say that he's not at OTAs. What does it mean for, for his future with the team when a coach says that and he's not at OTAs? I think that is, to me – you know, the big thing that I, I took away from, from that opening day of OTAs, but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on what you think. Money, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'd echo that, that sentiment for sure, Popper. And it's interesting because, you know, throughout the entire offseason, um, Chris and I have been doing this and, and we've been talking about the defensive line. I feel like Chris has always had to add Jerry Tillery to everything I'm saying when it comes to the D line. I'm like, look, I like Joseph Day and adding Austin Johnson. And, you know, I really like what Fajoko did when he got in there last year. And and then Chris would say, oh, yeah, and you know, don't forget about Jerry Tillery. And, and I think we've just forgotten about Jerry Tillery. And and to me, like, you know, Jerry's career has really mirrored what he did at, at Notre Dame. And, and, and that was he had that Stanford game. You know, the Stanford game was incredible. If you want to watch a freaking defensive tackle dominate a game and dictate terms on defense, watch Jerry Tillery, his senior year at Notre Dame against Stanford. But that was it. Like that, that was really what you were back. You're like, okay, there it is. I see the flash. I see it. 
He can do it. My God, he's giant. He's got length. He can rush the passer. And then there's just, there's no consistency. And, you know, it's, and it's less game in, game out more than it is play in, play out, right? Yeah, because, 100%. I mean, and that's, and I think that's the frustration for, for someone like Brandon Staley, Coach Staley, because he, you know, he calls the defense. And when you feel like you've got the right call and you've got everything lined up perfectly, and next thing you know, you know, one guy's not in his spot and isn't making the play where he's supposed to, that can get really frustrating. And and to me, I like that answer, Pop, I think that that tells you everything, that that he is a very frustrating player for Coach Staley because we know the talent's there. I mean, we've seen we've seen it in his Chargers career. He's had dominating games, you know, where he's in the backfield repeatedly, but it's the focus, it's the consistency that, like you said, I think very well could not only cost him reps, but could cost him a spot on the roster. This team wants to win a Super Bowl. You know, they they are going, they don't care about what the what the perspective is or what the conversation will be around cutting a guy that was a first round pick four years ago. You know, they want to win. They don't care. It's like whatever. We we got three new guys and Fox and Joseph Day and and Johnson. We're good. You know, we're good. So I I think you're you're absolutely a, a spot on. I, I do think. Jerry Tillery is going to be fighting for a roster spot through training camp and, and clearly deciding not to show up to OTAs is probably not getting off to a good start. And Pop, yeah. Before you respond, I thought, if I'm not mistaken, Staley said something to the effect of Darwin James is an established football player. Khalil proven, Mack. proven. He also, yeah, he proven. also threw in Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. He so did. Staley brought in guys who fit his system. And uh, I think, if anything, that at least puts some players on notice that, hey, you are competing for a spot on this football team. Whatever happened last yeah. year is last year. We're moving forward, and we're hoping you're going to join us, and uh, the competition is open. Yeah, and I think getting back to something that Money said, throughout the defense, not just on the defensive line, I think Brandon got really frustrated with guys not being in the right spots when he made calls. And that you can go back to – he has added players he's previously coached at every position group, right? We talked yes. about Besides, your tweet. Right. We talked about your tweet last right. week here on the show. But all three levels of the defense, you know, he hasn't added a safety, but you talk about adding Bryce Callahan, a guy that has played his entire career in this scheme. You talk about adding Troy Reader, who played for him in 2020, Morgan Fox and Sebastian Joseph Day, who played for him in 2020, Khalil Mack, who played for him uh, with the Bears in, in 2017. He's bringing guys that know what they're doing, guys that he can trust to be in the spots that they're supposed to be in. I think that is a great point for money. And then also the point you made money about it being play to play and not game to game. I agree with that 100% because you can go to that Cowboys game in week two oh. of last season where he against Terrence Steele early in the game, one-on-one -on, -one on a running play got blocked like 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. And then later in the game, he's one-on-one -on -one with a future hall of famer, Zach Martin, one of the best guards to ever play football. And he just dominates him one-on-one -on -one and makes a tackle for a loss in the backfield. And like, I remember doing a film review on Jerry Tillery after that game. Cause I was like, this is it. Like, if you want to know why this guy was a first round pick and hasn't been successful yet, it's the fact that you can have these two plays in one game so close together. And it's that inconsistency that I think just drives you crazy. And I would say, I would not be surprised at this point if they get to, you know, mid late August towards the end of training camp and they just swap him for a conditional seventh and, and cut ties and, and go ahead with, with the defensive lineman that they feel like can do the job that Brandon Staley's asking. That's, that's hey, sort of where I'm at with it. Yeah. I mean, I think the, 
you know, kind of the best way to look at it for, and look, we see this all the time. I mean, Carson Wentz is still getting traded for second round picks and stuff because he was the number three overall pick, you know, your draft status often earns you multiple chances to prove yourself. And because mm-hmm. Jerry, you know, was a standout at Notre Dame and was a first round pick, I think he's got, a, you know, he's been able to have these repeated opportunities, you know, oh, we're going to line him up out wide and see if that's where he, you know, because so other players, they don't get that. You're a fourth round pick. You're just, you're gone. You're, you're, you're no longer there based on kind of the inconsistency that we've seen. But I think, you know, what, what you brought up, Pop, is I'm looking at the depth chart, you know, okay, so let's count it off. Joseph Day, yeah. Johnson, Abonia, Fox, there you go. Those four are there. And they just signed Covington. So, and they, we know they like Covington. And then I think, you know, what we need to ask is who do you trust more? Okay. Let's say they decide to keep one more guy. If they decide there's one more spot, do you trust Fajoko, Gaziano, or Tillery? Like, I mean, then you're getting into that conversation. I don't know what the answer to that is. I certainly liked what Fajoko did when he got out there. I mean, he is a physical presence in the run game. And he's a guy that plays his ass off every yeah. single snap. So like that's now I'm six down where I, where I feel better about Jerry Tillery. Yeah, no, I like uh, my answer is, yeah, I feel a lot more comfortable with Braden Falco and probably yeah. feel more comfortable with Joe Gaziano. Cause you just saw them play with a certain level of consistency and effort and discipline and all of these things that you just don't see at a Jerry Tillery, despite the fact that he has all world traits and, and, but that's the reality, especially up front. Like, and, and with the way they played run defense last year, it's going to be all about consistency. Can you show up Sunday after Sunday and stop the run? And Braden Fajoko and Joe Gaziano, to me, proved that they can do that at a higher yeah. level with more consistency than Jerry Tillery. And that's just the reality. And keep in mind, you know, when, when Jerry Tillery was drafted, it's not just about Jerry. I think this is about a lot of players who fit Gus's system maybe better than Brandon Staley system. That's why you see a lot of these guys on other teams right now who played here last year. And, you know, Jerry was drafted under mm-hmm. that Gus Bradley regime too. So this defense is just being completely remade. I think we spent a bulk of the podcast last week, just talking about how different this defense looks and Staley getting guys in who he trusts from previous stops. Um, you know, I, Bryce Callahan's another guy. I, I, I think, the you know, hey, are- hey, uh, Chris, let me hop in. I just want to point this out. Yeah, because I think what what people get caught up in before we move on from Tillery is is again, as I go back to the draft status. So I just pulled up the first round from that year. Right. Everybody doesn't make it. You know, everybody doesn't make it. It's not that big of a deal. Like, you know, I look at who sit. Look who sandwiched uh, Tillery, Collier and Abram. All right. They're both gone. Like Collier's going to be gone from, from Seattle and Abrams gone from Las Vegas. Like it's not, it happens. Deandre Baker is, is now gone. You know, Nikhil Harry, the, the Patriots, like these are the guys that were drafted around him. Now look two ahead of him. You got Montez sweat, you know, and for whatever reason he slipped, try to figure that one out. But I think when you start going through it, it's like, yeah, that this happens. You know, the, the, when you're drafting Jerry Tillery, number 28 overall, the idea that he's going to be a, a cornerstone, you know, that's that's not guaranteed. It's just, it's not when you go through that. that I mean, look at Cleland Farrell at number four. I mean, nobody liked that pick when the Raiders made it, but like, it's not like, and I think that's what is so frustrating to so many coaches. And, and this is kind of where that, that coach front office relationship becomes so important. It's like, Hey, I need to play the best guys and you need to have, 
your resume look as good as possible, which is why you want to give your first round picks as many opportunities as possible, because we know how important they are because they're cost controlled draft and develop. And that's how you build a winning football team. But you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. The first round picks have been pretty much incredible for Tom Telesco. Yeah. You know, the first round has been really that, yeah. good to him. If, if for some reason, Tillery doesn't make it, that ain't going to hurt Tom's resume from what he's been able to do in the first round. Yeah. hundred percent. I was going to add that just like the, how good they've been in the first round since 2016. Yeah. I mean, go through them. Joey Bosa, Mike Williams, Derwin James, Jerry Tillery, Justin Herbert, Rashawn Slater, and now Zion Johnson. Obviously, Jerry's still yeah. out on Zion. I think everyone expects him to be a really quality player. Um, but I mean, that's one miss since 2016. Yeah, so you're good. You're yeah, good. You're, if, he, if he's got to move on for a seventh, like you said, Pop, right. no big deal. Right. And I don't. I don't think the criticism should not be like, oh, they whiffed on a first round pick. I think like it would be. It would be. I think another thing that organizations sometimes are reticent to do is just say, hey, we we messed this up and cut ties when you should cut ties as opposed to trying to convince yourself that your player development system can get more out of this player. Once you, once you realize like this, this isn't it, it's not working. Yeah. Understanding you made a mistake, realizing that mistake and moving on is, is really valuable from an organizational perspective. It's the, it's the old economics terms, right? It's sunk cost, opportunity cost. You know, your sunk cost is you, you invested a first round pick, but your opportunity cost is okay. That could be Braden Fajoko out there. That could be mm-hmm. Christian Covington out there that are making plays. And, yeah. and, you know, your sunk cost is a first round pick, big deal. Big, like we said, you're fine. <laughs> the first yeah. round picks are fine. Sebastian 100%. Joseph Day was like the 18th defensive tackle selected in that draft. You know what yeah. I mean? So like it, it's it's you, you find the right fit, and yeah. that's what Staley's done at all three levels, as you alluded to last week, Popper. And you know Bryce Callahan's another guy who comes in that secondary, and and we were also discussing just that fierce competition in the back end, man, at really all positions, safety, DB, who's going to play inside, who's going to play outside. Uh, what did you glean from what Staley said earlier this week regarding the cornerback and safety position? Yeah, my, my big takeaway was, um, you know, what's going to happen with Michael Davis? And it's a sort of a, a similar conversation, right? A guy that was drafted under a different regime for a different scheme that maybe they love the traits but didn't necessarily – you know, acclimate or develop in Brandon Staley's scheme the way they expected. Um, And they went out and they signed Bryce Callahan and, you know, a guy that Brandon Staley believes is an elite player in the slot in this scheme. And so that starts a question of, okay, if if the starting trio and nickel is Bryce Callahan in the slot, JC Jackson and Asante Samuel Jr. outside, that's Michael Davis as your, as your fourth corner. And that's kind of what it looks like right now, as opposed to, you know, Michael Davis and JC Jackson on the outside with Asante in the slot and Bryce Callahan as your fourth corner. I think the former hypothetical is the more likely scenario as we head into training camp. And, and again, you know, you're talking about a guy that is in the same mold as Jerry Tillery. Like you have to prove it. You have to earn your way in the NFL and it doesn't appear like he's done that yet. And I think the other thing you have to throw into this conversation with Michael Davis is that they paid him a decent amount of money. You know, he's making his cap hit is close to $10 million this year, and he's going to be the fourth corner. And I think it goes back to something Money said earlier, which is like, this is this team is trying to win a Super Bowl. Like, they can talk about the fact that there's the same amount of pressure every single year, but there is pressure to win this year with Justin Herbert on his rookie deal, with the roster as it's currently constructed. Like, now is the time that they have to go out and they have to win, and they don't care 
about first round picks. They don't care about contracts they've given out. They need to find players that are going to be able to execute the scheme on the field defensively. And that's what I think you're getting in a guy like Bryce Callahan. And I think it's why you're seeing guys like Jerry Tillery and Michael Davis who are drafted under a previous regime, potentially, you know, either not making the roster in Tillery's case or not being anywhere close to, to starting in football games with Michael Davis. Yeah. In the case of, in the case of Davis, you know, to me, it's a little bit different just because of his, his size and my concern about Asante playing too many snaps outside, you know, and, and getting roughed up in the run game. You know, we just saw him miss quite a few games last year, you know, because of his stature and trying to take on some of those big backs that are running downhill at him. And, and I think the other thing, Pop, is, you know, if Michael Davis is your fourth cornerback, you feel a lot better about him coming off the bench than seeing Tavon Campbell or Kamon Hall coming in. You know, I think right. that's that's where it pays off. And I think that's kind of when you saw, you know, signing Bryce, drafting, you know, two guys in the in the later rounds, you know, in, in order to, to try to build some depth in that position group, um, you know, and Leonard and I can't remember, uh, uh, Jasir. Um, yeah, Jasir Taylor. Yep. Jasir Taylor, there you go, from yep. Wake. Um, so I think what you're seeing is, you know, for, for Staley, I think he recognizes the attrition at that particular position and how it really crushed them last year. Oh, Just yeah. de- those the losing three of their last four, you can, if you want me to point to reason number one, that's where I'm pointing. It's like, okay, your secondary was decimated and they didn't have a chance in so many of those games, you know, or snaps or pivotal moments. The Vikings game. game. I, I, I always go yeah. back to that Vikings game where it was just third down after third down, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, just having an absolute field day with, field day. with Devon Campbell. And yeah. that, that that's the game I point to right there. And I get, I also get the sense too, Chris, that like, I, I, I this is terrible to say, and I, I know it's going to come out the wrong way. And I don't mean it to, but like, I get the sense that, that Staley likes Michael Davis. Like he likes him. Like he feels yeah. like that guy competes. He busts his ass. He's just like, man, I just got to get this guy to figure it out. Yeah. You know, I believe in him. It's just, you know, he's frustrated by the inconsistency. I don't, I feel like the way he talks about Michael Davis competing is so different than the way he talks about Jerry Tillery. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. And Michael, we talked about this last week too, Popper. Uh, my, Michael, was groomed by Ron Milas and Gus Bradley, and he worked his way up from an undrafted guy in 2017 to really a, a pretty good corner for them. And he had to learn a new scheme last year. You, you said he got a, a decent amount of money, but uh, a lot of these guys weren't necessarily pushed last year in training camp for, for roles. There, there weren't a ton of guys who were pushing Michael Davis and Asante Samuel and Chris Harris. So they, those guys were pretty established in being starters and entrenched there. Whereas this year you bring in a guy like Bryce Callahan, uh, you draft a bunch of DBs, JC Jackson comes in, Asante Samuel Jr. has another year under his belt. I think these guys are going to push each other and make each other better this summer. And, and I want to give Michael that second year uh, under Staley to, to see what he's capable of. And like Money said, if he's the fourth corner, I'd take that any day of the week. I think he'd, he'd be one of the best number four corners in the NFL if he's on the roster. Yeah, I think that's an excellent, 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 excellent point to just creating competition there because you can even go to safety, right? And I know that, you know, last year it was Nas as the starter going, no, no doubt about it. Now, I'm not saying that JT Woods is going to push him. I know that the JT Woods pick was more, okay, when we move Durman around to the slot, you know, when you put him at money, when you move him close to line of scrimmage, when you put him at X or whatever, we have more protection in a deep part of the field. But if JT Woods comes out and is balling in training camp, like, 
they're going to start the players that are going to give them the best chance to win. Talking about, How about Derwin, was, he, Derwin name check JT Woods a few times in his presser too. Yeah. yeah I, no, I heading into the draft. And this is one thing I'm kicking myself about because heading into the draft, I didn't think of safety as that big of a need, but then once they made the pick and explained the logic behind it, it made so much sense to me because you're thinking about, okay, you move Derwin around to, you know, you put him at the slot or move him to all these different positions that he plays. You got a Lohi Gilman back there. And that was, an area of weakness in terms of defending the deep part of the field. So it made so much sense to me, but you know, JT Woods has a really impressive athletic profile, ball production in college. Like if he comes out in training camp and really plays well, sure. He could be a starter. Right. So I yeah. think every guy that wasn't elite last year is going to have to earn their keep this year. That's just the way that they set it up. And I think that's a really smart way to go about it. And I think that's a great point, Chris. Yeah. My hope is, you know, is that, some, you know, and, and look, it's going to be dependent upon who your opponent is, right? And what, what you know, your play particular, you know, what you think the play is at, at that moment, down a distance, all of those things. But like, just for me, selfishly, when, when I'm, you know, and when we're calling games at SoFi, we're freaking calling them from the roof, basically. So, you know, you're just looking right down on it. It would drive me crazy to see Derwin James 15 yards from the ball. It's like, I get it, but man, I want that guy I want him on the line of scrimmage. I want him as close to the ball as possible. I mm -hmm. don't, to, to me, when, when a quarterback looks up and sees Derwin 15 yards back, he's like, thank God. Yeah. So right. like my, my great hope yeah. is that, yeah. that that's how they're going to play, you know, very similar to 2018 when Gus was forced to play, you know, in dime. And even with, you know, at times seven, you know, defensive backs out there right. because that just, Patriots loss. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, just <laughs> the decimation and, and how little he trusted their linebackers, um, you know, between attrition and, and just not believing in, in ability. And I, like, that's what I want to see. I want to see Derwin, like you said, pop, you know, we talked about him playing a lot of star, but playing some money and, and getting right up there on the line of scrimmage, just creating havoc right. because now you've got two guys that are rangy that I know like the thing about Nas is, Man, that dude had ball skills at Delaware. Like, incredible so, so ball skills. You know, just we're waiting for that. And he still got them. Like, he still gets his hands on balls. He's still, like, just – it's just a beat. I mean, it's just a beat off. And I'm waiting for it that, that beat yeah. to finally hit the perfect spot of rhythm. I kind of yeah, put him in that same yeah. category, Pop, as, as, as Michael Davison, that, hey, first year learning a, a new system. And I, I think Nas is going to – I think he's got an extra gear in this deal yeah yeah i yeah no i think Nas played better than than michael davis did last year i think i think Nas is a, a really good football player but i th the thing that money brought up is so perplexing to me because he's there he just feel, always feels like he's slightly like out of control because he just plays with so much energy and violence in his game that i feel like every time he gets the ball he's just a, he's going a little bit too fast he just to slow himself down a little bit but i remember i asked brandon about it because i was just so perplexed i was like how does this guy go from being being what he was at Delaware to like dropping all these picks and not, you know, coming down with these interceptions? And he gave me like a, you know, really good answer just about, you know, it's about, you know, being comfortable and, you know, and you, you just expect the guy that, you know, when he's in those positions, eventually they're going to come for, you know, you don't lose the ability to go get the football. You know, that's not something you lose. So, you know, hundred percent, I agree with you. And, and the other thing I'll add about Derwin they wanted to play that way last year. That was the idea going into the yeah. season. They're like, all right, we got Chris Harris. He hasn't played safety since he was at Kansas, but we're going to throw him back at, at, at safety and bring Derwin up to the slot. And we're going to play all these different 
um, you know, different personnel groupings so that we can get Derwin closer to the football. And then Chris Harris got hurt in the very first game of the season. That, and then the rest of the season, it was like, just put Derwin where we have to put him so that we can field an actual secondary, you know? So, right. I, I, you know, I think that was the goal the, the whole season. Um, and then now they're just like, Staley is building the depth so that they can continue to do, to do that throughout the entire season, even if they suffer some injuries. Buddy, do you remember calling that that preseason game, Nas's first preseason game? He should have oh, yeah. like seven interceptions against the 49ers. Yeah. Against 49ers. Yeah, he was incredible. He was incredible. Like, Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, I think he had, uh, what, two interceptions. I think he got his hands on like three more. He, yeah, he, he, uh, yeah. he got his hands on like three or four different yeah. balls. And he was uh, hurt, too. He was yeah. still dealing with that hamstring thing in that game. <laughs> it was like, all right. Because like, it's funny when you put a rookie out there in a preseason game, and he just dominates you're like you're against like lesser competition, like third string guys. You're like, okay, that guy's an NFL player. And exactly. that's like once that happened with Nas, we're like, okay, that guy's an NFL player. And he's close. He's I, I think he's gonna have a, a really great season this year. The I really funny do. thing is is like uh, you know, we're we're doing right now, and, and I know it's you know, we haven't brought it up yet, but it's and it's unintentional, but it's you know what the NFL has come to. Like we have we're trying to put the puzzle together, right? And we're talking about, okay, well, let's see the five guys in the front. And like, you know, if you play both woods and Nas at the same time, well, now we're not talking about the linebackers. And like, to me, that's, yeah. that's, and I'm trying to kind of get a read on, you know, and pop, you were there. So you can maybe speak to what um, the body language was when he was asked about Kenneth and how he talked about, you know, just the way I read the quote, you know, that he's got a sprint to training camp. It's like, hey, okay, you've had your surgery and we know you're recovering, but I expect you to be ready to be on the field day one of training camp. Like that's sort of what my takeaway was from reading uh, that quote. I don't know if you felt that. I mean, I think, you know, Kenneth falls into a very similar category, I think, is, is Jerry Tillery in that we know. I mean, you look at him, you watch the splashes, and man, it's there. I mean, it is there in spades, and you're just trying to figure out why it hasn't all been put together. Um, and I'm anxious to see, and I bring it up now because I'm thinking about, you know, playing with one linebacker most of the time. And and to yeah. me, that one linebacker is Drew Tranquil. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what that's my read on the situation, is that it's going to be a lot more 5-1 fronts in, in nickel packages. So two edge rushers, three defensive linemen. And, and one linebacker. It's something Staley did a ton of with the Rams. I actually looked into the numbers. Um, you know, it was close to 70% of their nickel packages were five-man fronts with the Rams. It was down like, a, you know, under 45% last year with the Chargers. So I think they'll they'll see an increase in that. Um, it's something that I know Staley likes to do. Um, and so, you know, in that when you do that and you only have one linebacker in the field in nickel, which you play over 70% of the time, then, you know, you don't need that much depth at linebacker. So you feel like you have a guy in Drew Tranquil who's incredibly intelligent. As long as he can stay healthy, he's going to be in the right place at the right time. He's going to make a few splash plays. And that's really all they need out of their linebackers. They don't need difference makers at linebacker. And then you go out and you sign Troy Reader, a guy that's been in this system, going to be in the right place at the right time, make a couple splash plays and be reliable, not be a difference maker, but just be a guy that you can have in there as the one linebacker and five one fronts and nickel packages. And so what does that mean for Kenneth Murray? I think it means that if he's if he never pans out into the type of player they expect him to be, it's not the end of the world because Brandon Staley feels like he, he can find guys that he trusts at linebacker to play in these five one fronts um, and and you know not lose a lot. You know he doesn't feel like he needs elite talent at linebacker because he created the best defense in football without a lot of talent at linebacker with the Rams in 2020, and that has truly informed how he wants to build his defense. And, you know Kyle Van Noy and how he kind of yeah that's another one this, yeah. this equation uh, yeah. Staley talks about his versatility. So I, I think as the as training camp and the season progresses, 
we'll have a good idea of where he's going to line up. If he's going to line up on the edge, if he's going to line up as a linebacker, I think it's contingent on injuries and, you know, whoever's performing, but he's another chess piece that this team has that they can put him in a couple different places. I think he's an edge. Like just, yeah. I think about, you know, Joey taking off full series about Khalil coming back from a pretty serious foot injury. Like to me, I think if you're, if you're budgeting, you know, because it's, well, it's a violent game. If you're budgeting snaps, you know, to me, I think Kyle, because look, we were having this conversation all off season, right? Okay. Well, who's the third rusher? Yeah. You know, is it Chris Rump? Is that where they're? So I think to me, that's just kind of what I read from the van. Now, I, someone, you know, we talked about this, you know, after the signing Chris and, and it's not like it's any sort of insight. You just look at the guy's career, you know, every year it's, you know, your floor is four and a half, five sacks, you know, your ceiling is seven and a half, eight, depending on where, you know, how often he plays there. But, you know, that just kind of goes to the, but the nice thing about Kyle is, and I think this is sort of what, what coach said is he's got that versatility. So if you need it, it's there. But if I had to guess, and I don't know if you guys agree, if I had to guess, I think they, I think they want him to be an edge. No, I think yeah. you're right. Pop, what about the, the, the depth at edge outside of Joey and Khalil? Uh, like, w- where are we with that that depth chart right now? If you took Joey and Khalil out of the equation, because Oof. whoever it is, they're going to have to play some plays this year. Yeah, so I so it's Chris Rump and it's Kyle Van Noy. I agree with Money that, that Van Noy was signed as an edge because that's just how he fits into the roster based on where their depth is at. But I think, like, the more positions you can start at, the better. Like, the more areas that you can cover, you know, in, in a case of an injury, the better. And I think that's what you have in Kyle Van Noy. The other thing with Kyle Van Noy is, like Brandon Staley really believes in bringing in players who have championship pedigree, whether that's at the college level or at the pro level. That's something that Kyle Van Noy has. And it's something they talked about with like Jamari Salyer, for example, you know, a guy who won a title, like guys who know how to win championships have been through that process. I mean, I think that matters, but in terms of the edge rushing depth, you know, I'm high on Chris Rump. I, when I watched him on tape last year, I I saw a fantastic motor. Like, do I think he's going to be an elite, elite rusher? No, he was a fourth round pick. It's hard to find guys that are going to be elite in those rounds, but he has a a fantastic motor. He plays so hard. He's physical. And I think with a full off season of him training, no draft to prepare for, no distractions. It's all about putting on mass and getting bigger. You know, Joey Bosa talked about how his nickname was string bean last year, like get bigger, get, get, you know, turn that body into more of a pro body. And I feel like he has the motor to be a, a really solid third or fourth edge rusher who can rotate in there and make some splash plays as a pass rusher and as a run defender. I really liked, what I saw from him, because you can't teach that level of effort. You know, it's obvious that he's a coach's son. You can't teach that level of effort in terms of how consistently you're going out there and just playing like your hair is on fire. And so I'm, I'm high on him. I think he's going to be solid this year. You got a, you know, proven guy like, like money said, and, and Van Noy. And so the, the, and then Jamal Davis, the guy they signed from the CFL, we'll see, we'll see what he is. So is it, you know, the best depth? No, I think ideally they would have found an edge rusher in the draft, but the board didn't, shake out that way and they had a, a backup plan and so they're rolling with what they have and I think you know if this team's going to contend for a Super Bowl you really got to get you know healthy seasons out of Kula Mack and Joey Bosa and that's sort of where it's at but there's a little bit of luck involved in every Super Bowl run that's just the reality of how the NFL works yeah I'm with you on Rumpf I, I think you know and just uh, I think the one thing that and it was funny that Staley brought it up too he brought up you know the kicking game you know Rumpf has been so good on special teams you know and I think that's yeah. You know, and, and that goes to the Troy Reader signing. We brought, you know, we talked about that. Like, he's been so good on special teams. So, so many of these signings or draft picks, we mentioned this. I think it was last week we talked about this, Chris. But, you know, Pop, and, and it's clear that 
that Staley likes having a lot of defensive backs on the roster, specifically for special teams. Um, and I think that's where so many of these sort of conversations can go as well, just because we saw, you know, punt and kick covered, you know, let them down last year at, at times. And so to be able to, to bolster that, and we, this was actually, you know what, you know, not to dictate terms here, Chris, but to kind of shift, we've talked nothing but defense for 30 minutes. Say, now. Well, at some point um, we got to get to the offense, right? Yeah. You know, I, I brought up and, and I know it's not the sexiest position battle, but look, you know, Gabe neighbors and Justin Herbert are very close, you know, they live <laughs> together. And, and if, if Xander Horvath can, can be, because he's an athlete, now if he can be that exceptional special teams player from that fullback position you know we mentioned with Derek Watt when he was here he didn't do a whole lot in you know in offensive reps but man he was a terror on special teams and when they needed him they'd call on him and, and he would come in and get his three or four snaps offensively a game so that's what I'm interested to see play out because that's sort of what I took away from that draft pick was you know what let's let's see if this guy can compete with Gabe and he can maybe be that Steven Anderson type player that will also be exceptional on special teams because we need to fill that out. Yeah, they've been they've been looking for Derek Watt ever since they let him walk. <laughs> yeah. They've been looking for that 100%. exact player, you know, outstanding on special teams, can play fullback and then give you some tight end flex. Because remember, when they lost tight ends, Derek Watt played some snaps at tight ends in emergency yeah. situations when he was with the team. So they've been looking for that player. And, you know, it starts with, an ability to tackle and run on special teams. And I think with Gabe, um, they've been trying to mold him into that as opposed to getting a guy who had that sort of innate ability. And, you know, Derek Watt was, you know, a linebacker when he first got to Wisconsin. And so, and same with Horvath, who was recruited initially as a linebacker. So I think you're, they're looking for Derek Watt. They need yeah. a guy who can be a difference maker on special teams because you need that kind of value out of that roster. Spot. If you're only playing, like you said, four or five snaps of offensive game, you better be the elite of the elite on special teams. And I think that's what they're looking for in Xander Horvath. So, so we'll see, but you know, Gabe neighbors has more experience in the NFL on special teams. Does that aid um, in his, uh, in his, you know, journey to try and make the roster. And then, you know, listen, these guys are all human beings, you know, friendships do matter at the end 100%. of the day. Right. So 100%. we'll see. I, think, I, I love a good fullback battle though. You know me, I'll be all over it. I'll be all over it in the takeaways, baby. Headline. August, Headline August, the 3rd, August 3rd popper's notebook. Okay. I got one more thing, Chris. Not to not to jack your job as host, but I got one more thing that I want to ask you guys about. So right tackle, okay. Not to talk about the same thing that I always love talking about, but it's it's literally my only concern with the roster. That's where. Hey, real quick, let me let me get to Herbert real quick. I'm going to get to right tackle. Okay. All right. All right. Way to go, Pop. You screwed it up. No. no. Totally screwed it up. You blew it off the rails. Pop's a step ahead of me. I love it. You, you, all right, listen, I wasn't going to let you go without talking right tackle and all the I different know, I combinations starting, of possibilities. I was starting to look at the time. I was like, we're getting close here. Right? We need but, some O-line talk. But but yeah, I, I want to start – I got to start with number 10 because right. Justin Herbert, it's his third year. It's his second year in this offense. I, the only thing I – listen, he's lifting. He's bigger. He's His golf game is rough. His brisket game is rough. Uh, and he's just getting better as a player. I, I, I didn't really glean too much other than Justin's probably going to be – an even better player than he was last year. Yeah, MVP candidate. But here's my takeaway from the Justin or talk MVP, with Justin. MVP favorite, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, is he? Odds, oh, is he? Not surprised. Posted yesterday. I think he is uh, plus five fifty, number one in yeah. the uh, odds to win MVP, according to the uh, the folks in the desert. I think I think that's completely fair. Yeah, like he's that good. And the crazy part is, you know, actually having a full off season with Shane Day, with Joe Lombardi in the same offense. Like, K 
can like what can, I was talking about this yesterday when I went on our podcast, our football show. Like, is plug he, it. Yeah, plug. Is, yeah, it'll be out tomorrow morning. No, is he like mentally? Can he get to where Drew Brees was in this offense? I think they believe that Justin can get there. But like, if he's yeah, going to become the best quarterback in football, like that's where they where he has to get to. And I think we're going to start to see that this year, like where, you know, we've seen him win with his with his physical tools. You know, that throw to Jalen Guyton, where he's just making throws that no one else can make, and defenses are just like, how on earth can a human being do these things, right? And but we also started to see him scratch the surface on winning with his mind and his processor. And if he starts winning with that consistency that's when you're going to see him become like the best quarterback in football. And I think that's like what I'm going to be watching this year. And, and I think it can happen because he's finally had a full off season in the same system with the same coaches. And that continuity is going to matter when it, when you, when it comes down to winning with your processor. Yeah. I mean, first time in, in five years that, that he's had the same coordinator and offense and, and back-to-back seasons and, you know, we've talked about it for as impressive and, and it's impossible to overlook the physical because there's just there's not many people in the league that look like him that are six six, two forty five, that have that type of talent in their arm and that type of movement in their body at that size. But again, academic all American every year, biology major. Like he is a bright dude. This is not this is no, you know, muscle headed dummy that's just out there throwing the ball all over the place because he's got a freaking hose. I mean, it's you know, so that speaks to, you know, when you think about Drew, how did, how did Brees win? He mastered the offense. You know, mm-hmm. he won with his brain. He knew exactly what was going to happen, a beat before it happened. And that's how he was able, you know, at six foot to, to dominate at a position that typically guys his size don't dominate. And just to hear, like, just to hear Justin when he was asked, and, and, and it's one of the great things, we were talking about it before we got on, before we started the pod, you know, he's just, he's himself. That's what's great about Herbert. You know, he's, he's a quiet guy. He's a subtle guy, but that's his genuine self. And that's what mm-hmm. his teammates appreciate. And that's what you have to be, especially in a game like this um, with what you're asking everybody to do when they put on a helmet and go out there. But I liked, you know, how specific he was about, you know, Hey, what did you work on for him to say? Oh yeah. My footwork. Like, it's like, okay, I, there are very few holes in that guy's game, but he found one and he's like, I need to fix my five on my sevens. So, and then you heard coach Staley sort of back that up and say, yeah, look, you know, this guy's making throws that to you and me are incredible, but to him, they're routine. And like one thing that we've heard, and we've heard it from, from his coach, from his independent, his individual quarterback coach, John Beck. Yeah. He, it's almost, I don't want to say it's to a fault, but it might be to a fault. Like he is a perfectionist in a, in an imperfect game at an imperfect position. And I think whatever Justin can do to to get his mind because he won't accept failure he wants everything to be as precise and perfect as it can be and that's just not going to happen so wherever he can get his mind to feel like that's happening I think is how he takes the next steps Um, because everything else he already has yeah I think that's a really really great point just you know understand that mistakes are going to happen and and, and I think he's done a good job like with Shane particularly like learning how to move on like he, he threw there were 15 interceptions last year. I think, you know, that's a bloated number. A lot of those were tip passes and weird situations. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a true 15 interceptions, but I think the way that he was able to move on from those is an indication of, you know, how he's growing in that area. But like you, you, you talk about this and it's like, you can say all these same things about Drew Brees, 
just perfectionist. Like the guys out there doing like fake throwing motions, like all, you know, all of that kind of stuff with Drew Brees. And it's like the vision internally is like, you could have Drew Brees with like the most elite skill set we've maybe ever seen on a quarterback, right. like that processing with every tool you could ever imagine. And that's why people around the chargers are so damn excited about what could happen with Justin Herbert, not just this season, but you know, over the next 10 seasons. All right, Pop, let's let's get into the right. Hey, here we go. All right. Get was that, was that out, good Pop. enough, Justin Herbert talk? Let's can get we, it out. It was perfect. Did we excite everybody enough? It, it was perfect. Yeah, everyone right. was excited. Listen, the little nugget that he's the, the favorite to win MVP, though, I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know that. that popped yesterday on the uh, on the old Twitter. Yeah, two, maybe surprising. two days ago. Yeah, That's accurate to me. Uh, the the right tackle, and I, I do want to briefly touch on the running game, too, with, with Isaiah Spiller getting into that mix. But but start with, start with right tackle and – all the different combinations that could possibly be there. Staley said that Storm Norton and Trey Pipkins played some decent ball last year. It uh, looks like it's going to be a competition, but Matt Filer was talked about as a potential right tackle option as well. Yeah. So I think Storm Norton and Trey Pipkins played winning football in the sense that they were on the field and play snaps, played snaps when the Chargers won football games. Huh. Um, you know, I think that there is reason to believe that both players can develop, but it is a concern for me. Like, this is a concern for me. It's the only concern I have on the roster, but it is a concern for me. At the end of the day, however, player development is a key part of winning in the NFL. Like, you're not going to be able to plug every single position with a first-round pick or a free agent signing. Eventually, at the end of the day, you're going to have to develop the players internally. And that's what it's come down to is that at this spot, at right tackle, they're going to have to find a player internally that they can develop and turn into a starter. Now, and I, and that was a joke. It was probably a little mean. I apologize for that. But like, you know, Storm did have great moments last year. I think coming in in that Washington game, playing the way he did was really impressive. And then Trey started games at left tackle and right tackle. And I really liked what I saw out of him. So like I said, there's reason to believe that that both these players. Trey you know, versus the Chiefs is something we've talked about a few times. Over yeah, this no, he, yeah. I, and, and, you know, working with Duke Manyweather and Rashawn all off season, I think is important. Like, is, are we about to see a huge jump from Trey? I think that's certainly possible. Um, the interesting thing, and this is why I wanted to bring it up and talk to you about it with you guys, is we. it feels like it's gone back and forth this whole offseason. It's like, okay, early in the offseason, they're talking about Matt Filer potentially playing right tackle. And then they get through the draft, they draft Zion, and they're like, no, we're keeping that interior trio. We're keeping that left side. It's going to be an open battle at right tackle. And then we get to OTAs, and Brandon's like, well, we have all these different options. We can put Matt out there. We have you know, draft picks, presumably referring to – Brennan Hymas and Jamari Salyer as guys that have played tackle in college that could go out there. So my, my head's kind of spinning. Like what is, like what is actually going on here? Because there's been so many different points made by Brandon in terms of what exactly is going to happen at right tackle. To me, it feels like they're keeping that trio together. Corey at, at center, Zion at right guard, Filer at left guard, Rashawn Slater at left tackle. And then they're going to see what happens at right tackle. I think, you know, Jamari Salyer is a guy who played left tackle in the SAC against some of the best competition in college football in the best league in college football and won a title. Like to me, I would like, I don't care about traits. I don't care about movement, any of that. Just throw him out there during training camp and see what he can do. If he can't hang, then you move him back inside. I don't know why you wouldn't at least try that, but I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Is, so, is it, yeah. Yeah. So, they, and remember, you know, with Sawyer, they kicked him inside in the middle of the national championship game because they were getting wrecked, you know, from an interior rush. And they were like, all right, Jamari, get in there. And what did he do? He, he locked it up. Yeah. So like, this is, so this is the way I'm trying to to put it together, guys, is I think about last year and when we thought maybe Filer was going to kick out to the right tackle after Belaga went down 
And they were like, no, we want Filer here to A, help out, pretty much to help out Slater. He's a rookie. He's at left tackle. Let's put the experience. Now you got Corey, Filer, and Slater. And let's make it as the transition as easy as, I shouldn't say easy because it's not easy, but let's try to make it the best transition possible for Slater. So now I think about why wouldn't you want to do that for Zion Johnson? Why, why would you not want Filer at right tackle, Corey Lindsley at center, and now Zion Johnson is sandwiched between those two in his rookie year? And then at left guard, you can, it's, now it's a battle, right? It's Hymas, it's Sawyer, or maybe, you know, because Zion's comfortable playing left, left guard instead of right guard, you know, you can put him at left guards. I feel good about Slater as one of the five best left tackles in the league. You want to put mm-hmm. Zion where he played his entire college career at left guard between Lindsley and, and Slater. Great. And then you got Filer at, at right tackle and now you drop Hymas or Salyer in there. Now what I think ideally pop what they, you know, and Chris, what they want to do is they, they want Pipkins to win that battle. I think they would really like to see Trey Pipkins win that right tackle battle so they can say, Hey, this is the left side is exceptional and we feel good. Cause like, to me, I think about it and I'm like, okay, what does it make sense to have a rookie right guard and a, you know, Hey, we we're going to try to put our finger in the dam here at right tackle and give them some help with tight ends and, and running backs over here. Like to me, that doesn't, it just doesn't make as much sense to me to have your rookie guard playing right guard. And then the one big question mark that we have on the offensive line be right next to him at right tackle. I, I think it comes down to three guys. It, it's it's Sawyer and Hymas first and foremost. And we, we remember that very small sample size, the first preseason game, we saw Hymas and Slater out he played there. Great. He was, he was playing great, but for, I thought for he whatever, played better than Balaga. I was like, this guy looks better than Balaga right now. Play him at right tackle. For whatever mm-hmm. reason, they didn't think he was ready yeah. to play last year. So yeah, I mean, and they know they see him in practice. They yeah. they they know better than we know watching him. Like you said, Pop earlier, playing against a bunch of three third stringers. So you know they see him going up against ones and what he's going to face. So certainly yeah. they didn't have that kind of confidence. Yeah. So yeah. so what's he going to look like in in July and August? And what's he going to look like in the preseason games? What's all you're going to look like as a rookie right off right off the rip? And I, I really think it's just too early to give up on Trey Pipkins. I, I know that he's had some inconsistent play over the, the last three seasons, um, his first three seasons in the league. But he was drafted as a project. Um, we saw flashes towards the end of last year. And I, I think it's worth giving him every shot to, to be that starting right tackle this yeah. upcoming season and see what happens, see how it shakes out. Because I was very impressed with how he was thrust into action in week 15 against the Chiefs when Slater went down. Um, he, he played winning football. They, they, they oh, showed yeah. him on that game. He played and, really well in that game. He played and, really well at left tackle in that game. And what's he going to look like in July, Popper? That's, that's, that's what I want to see. What's Trey Pipkins going to look like in July, and how is he going to compete against the Cowboys in joints? How is he going to play throughout the preseason? Is he going to really take a hold of that right tackle starting position to a point where they don't have to worry about moving Filer around? They feel confident and comfortable not having to worry about different permutations at right tackle yeah no we'll see what happens to me it's like I go through every position and I think I look at okay well who's at the top of the depth chart and what does the depth look like behind those those players or that player the only concerning position group for me or position specifically is, is right tackle like that's really the only concern I have with this roster like even if they battle through some injuries they have depth everywhere to weather injuries just at right tackle what are they going to do with that starting group and so you know I, you know, 
ideally, you know, Trey Pipkins makes a huge jump, but historically with this team, when they've said, Hey, this guy's going to take this big jump and be a great starter for us. We just haven't seen it. And it's, and it's really bitten them at times, you know, since I started covering the team in 2019. So we'll see long time between now and the start of the season. But the, the point I was making when I first, you know, started talking about this is like, are they really considering all these different combinations? Because like after the draft, it was like very explicit. Like Zion Johnson is a right guard and we want the, and I, and we want this trio together and we want this four and we'll figure it out at right tackle. And it's changed since then. So I don't know if they're actually like considering all these different options and keeping their options open. Um, or if they're sort of just saying that because they know the fan base is losing their minds about right tackle. Yeah. And the one thing, you know, and this is, something that DJ has, has said repeatedly. He posted on his Twitter feed and his Instagram. You don't need elite players at every offensive line position. You just can't have a hole. That's all there is. Like you can have, Good you know, point. borderline average, as long as your right tackle is doesn't have to even be average, just needs to be kind of sniffing average, just close to league average. You, you can make that what you cannot have is what we saw in Las Vegas. You know, because it will doesn't matter what the other four players are doing. If they identify it and nothing can be done about it, you can wreck a game like Max Crosby wrecked a game. And look, that's it's not fair to, to say that that's the only game that Storm played in his career. He had other games. Like you said, he came in and Washington played great against a hell of a front, you know, with Montez yeah. Sweat or Chase Young opposite him. So yeah. but that game, you know, because of what it meant. And, and how bad it went, I think is you're like, Hey, that can't happen. You know, you can, you can get away with it because you can help, you can chip, you can help, you can provide, you know, you can shift your tight end, you can line your tight end up over there. You can line your back on that side. You can run plays away from it. It's easier to mask that than it is an interior leak. And I think that's maybe what they're thinking is I'd rather have the leak come there where we can design and, and have an yeah. easier time playing against it than having it come right up the gut because you got two rookies at each guard spot. Yeah. I also think there's a belief that Zion Johnson is going to be a big, big step up for Michael Schofield. And that, that's yeah. no knock on Michael Schofield. Who did I, thought, I thought Michael played well. Off, I did not came, expect yeah. much from him. And I thought he played well. Yeah. Came off the street and, and you know, obviously, you know, had his his – negative moments but really played well considering where you know we just yeah. called him up in, in mid-september we're like hey come start for us you know pretty and maybe impressive. that's it that, that speaks to to your point chris about trey like yeah. schofield was terrible he had a bad year the year before they let him go i mean it was between him and feeney it was a freaking turnstile at those two guard spots and that's why he didn't come back um and then he shows up and he plays solid football I mean he played pretty damn well I was it, it truly blew me away I was like wow this is not good when Abushi went down and they decide to you know go to the old friend alert um and and it worked out so maybe that's you know speaks to your point Chris that coaching matters you know and and I think considering what what Rashawn did last year as a rookie you know that what what Trey did when he was pressed into duty to fill in for Rashawn you know, coaching matters and, and maybe this team is, has just got really good offensive line coaching and they can help develop these guys and make them better than yeah. we saw uh, with Pat and the, nothing against Pat. I don't mean to take a shot at him, but look, Trey was not good under Pat Meyer. Just, just a reality. And, yeah. You know, and well, that's why Frank Smith, you know, got hired as the offensive exactly. coordinator in Miami. Like there's a reason that guys get, get promoted and, and get to move up and, and we'll see what happens with Brendan Nugent. Excited yeah. to get a chance to, you know, talk to him later this off season and, and pick his brain. But, you know, you also got to give credit to Sean Surrett, who's still there. 
and there's some 100%. continuity there. And then it all starts with at the top, you know, with Brandon Staley, who believes in building an offensive line and devotes time and energy to that part of the football team. And Joe Lombardi, who comes from an organization that has developed, drafted and developed offensive linemen for as long as I've been, you know, watching football. So, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, to use a term from John Spanos that he first said at the initial uh, press conference, you know, vertical alignment of the organization. I think that philosophy starts with Brandon of offensive line is, is important. We're going to vote, devote time to developing these players and find guys who have proven the ability to develop players. And I think you're seeing that pop. We've kept you way, way long, but the I last got, thing, got nothing else to do. La last thing, <laughs> uh, the, the running back competition, we talk about the interior line too. Uh, I, I feel like Isaiah Spiller with his feet and his vision, um, if, if he gets a little hole, he's going to do a lot with it. And um, whether it's time of possession or, or uh, controlling the clock late in games, uh, what do you think Isaiah Spiller's impact is going to be on this team in 2022? And how is that going to push maybe Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree? I, I saw Larry Roundtree put something up on his Instagram that he's ready to go in 2022. And, I, you know, listen, I, I think, again, it's the theme of, theme of this offseason is, is competition at all these different positions. And I think Isaiah Spiller, we know what Austin is, and uh, Austin has said, he doesn't think he needs to get the full load. Um, he's probably his best when he's fresh. And I think Spiller can provide that. But what does that do to maybe Kelly and, and Roundtree in terms of adding a little heat to Spiller? Yeah. So Spiller has a clear path to this running back two spot as long as he can show up in training camp, be productive, um, and most importantly, prove that he can he can learn the pass protection part of the offense, which is like crucial. And I think it's overlooked by a lot of people. They're like, okay, this guy's this guy's got running skills. He broke off a bunch of long touchdowns at Texas A&M, super productive, can catch the ball, all right, slot him in at running back two. Well, you know, if he comes on the field on third down and whiffs on a uh, pass protection assignment and Justin Herbert gets lit up, you know, you're not going to play much after that, you know? So that's really important. If he can really tune up that part of his game, then he's got a clear path to it. I think the big question is, I think Larry Roundtree has a roster spot because he brings some juice on special teams coverage. And Joshua Kelly doesn't really bring anything on that area. So I think, you know, that's going to be really important. The question to me is, do they keep four running backs? It's something that the Saints did a lot of when Joe Lombardi was there as the quarterback's coach. It's something the Chargers did last year in Joe Lombardi's first season as, as offensive coordinator. You know, you start – it's a little early to start, you know, going through the 53 man, but do they, do they keep all four? Or if they stick with three, um, you know, it seems like Joshua Kelly is – is the, the man out, um, unfortunately. And it just goes back to something that has sort of been a theme of this entire discussion. You know, this has been the season of turnover, right? Of taking a roster that was built for different schemes and turning it over for Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi and these new schemes. And so I think you're going to see it. We've already seen a ton of these guys, particularly on defense this offseason, that have gone elsewhere. And it's only going to continue as Brandon Staley gets his guys into the building and Joshua Kelly was an, an Anthony Lynn draft pick. Yeah. I think, you know, speaking to the pass pro, that's going to be so important and, you know, Josh pretty darn good at pass pro. Um, not a lot of juice that we've seen running the ball. I think we're still kind of waiting for, for that. And I just, I think about that first game and the second game and how good he looked before the fumble against Kansas city. And, so true. Uh, and it just so has true. been a different player since then. Cause prior to that, he looked great. It's like, Oh, there we go. Second back has arrived. And for whatever reason, and then, you know, the huge fumble 
uh, again uh, in this. Uh, what was it? Was that against that the, was the Bucks game? That, that was, was the Bucks, Bucks game because yeah, they were up twenty one nothing, and then he fumbled, and then he Brady fumbled. led him all the way back. Yeah. Exactly. So there was that game, and then he had the extension fumble um, against the Chiefs on the Thursday night game, right? Where he was that the the, the Chiefs yeah. or the Raiders game? I can't remember, but he, no, he left was, left I his think feet that was the way game. too soon. Yeah, the, yeah, the Chiefs night, game. Yeah. And um, so look, you can't turn the ball over. Like you yeah. cannot turn the ball over like that. So I think that's another thing that's working against, against Josh. And I think if you're talking about man carrying four backs and a fullback, you know, that's, you know, that, that the roster map, that, like you said, I don't want to do it here in, in, in May, but it's going to be interesting to see how they, how they decide to construct this. And, and man, I, I don't know about four running backs. That to me seems really, really rich. I think one of these guys is going to, you know, I think they're fighting. I, I think these, these, you know, those two guys are going to be fighting for one spot. I just, I really feel like that's how it's going to play out. Yeah. So, I mean, they did it last year. So they yeah. went, they went four running backs, they kept Gabe. And then, so three quarterbacks, five wideouts, four tight ends, and four then nine ends. on the offensive line. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so I guess can, it's, yeah. It's wide, yeah. wideouts interesting too, because DeAndre Carter has that flexibility as like the fifth wide receiver. That's true. He, he, he had three so touchdowns spot there. In, in Washington last year. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, true. So Everybody he, got he, upset when they they cut T. Billy, and it ended up making sense, you know, with the way the the roster was good with the extra tight end or the extra the extra back. Yeah, I think fans really uh, overrated him as a player. He, really fast, um, but you know, when you have Thor throwing the football seventy yards downfield, that speed plays up a little bit. And yeah. there's not many guys built like him. <laughs> <laughs> Popper. Uh, Plug what you got going on, and, and can Money and I come on hops with Pop at some point? And yeah, so beer and just chat. What's up? I think the the plan in the off season is going to be uh, you know adding some production value to uh, hops with Pop. Right now, the production team is me sitting in front of uh, my camera uh, with a beer. That's it. That's the whole thing. So maybe I know, we'll, I know where to get the theme music. Yeah, the SoundCloud <laughs> library. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Currently, yeah. The rest of my day, I'm just going to be sitting here refreshing. Um, you know. My, my website to see if any labels have signed my music, which is never going to happen and working on a different remix, but yeah, I'll, we're going to, yeah, we're going to make some, uh, we're going to get some theme music. We're going to get some production value. We're going to see where we can take this YouTube thing. And then uh, otherwise just, uh, you know, be doing my takeaways off OTAs. So stay plugged into my Twitter and uh, to the athletic. It's educational. Remember? Remember? What's this the, is educational. What's the- What's the logo for the athletic? I'm, I'm, it's escaping me right now. Do they have a logo? Hold on. Well, do I have uh, anything? Anything? Uh, oh, oh! oh. <laughs> wow! What do you know? There Look you go. That. There you there go. go. What's, What's in that mug, Stop. Pop? Nothing, because I've been on here for an hour and my coffee's done. Same thing that's in Jimmy Johnson's <laughs> coffee mug: Heineken and ice. Love that ice. Wait, seriously? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> talking out of my ass. Heineken <laughs> and ice. Oh God, uh, that's that's uh that's my beverage on hops and pop. Heineken and ice. There you go. You know exactly. Maybe maybe a little birdie said something about that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Twitter, uh, pop. All thank right. you so much, uh, guys. We'll see you next week for money Absolutely. and popper. I'm Chris. This has been Charges Weekly. <laughs>